Pep in his step. Oh, the corkscrew off the Euro. Kyrie Irving is locked in. Hello and welcome back to the Nothing But Nets podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hale. And it's been a while since I've uploaded one of these. Trust me, I've been busy with schoolwork and busy watching the Nets take the second seed in the Eastern Conference. (sighs) What can I say about the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised with them this season. We finished second place in the East with a 48-24 record, just one game behind the Philadelphia 76ers. There were some good takeaways from the end of the season. There were some bad takeaways from the end of the season. And I'm here to walk you through all of them. First and foremost, one of my biggest takeaways from the end of this season is that the Nets' defense has slowly deteriorated back to the way that it was right after the Harden trade. I'm slightly concerned about how the Nets are going to be able to defend bigger teams such as Philadelphia and Milwaukee, as we did see losses to Philadelphia and Milwaukee in the latter half of the season, especially two back-to-back losses against the Milwaukee Bucks. But aside from that, let's just get to the Nets season and see how they did from there. So aside from finishing 48 and 24, we went 26 and 16 in the conference with a 28 and 8 home record and a 20 and 16 away record. So honestly, that's pretty good. If you're an NBA team, especially a playoff team, a top team in the East, we had the second best home record in the East. We're going to be a formidable team at home. And that's one of the things you want to see from not just a playoff contender, but a championship contender. We're going to take a quick look over the Nets stats to finish the season. So we finished with a 118.3 offensive rating, which was first in the league. So the Nets offense is here. It's nothing to joke about. All the forecasts about the Nets offense being one of the greatest in the NBA Well, it's not just one of the greatest anymore, it is the greatest. With the combination of the three best one-on-one players, nay, I say the three best ISO players in the NBA, and Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, the Nets have gotten themselves the top offense in the NBA. Speaking of those three, if we look at the stats that the Nets players were able to post, we see James Harden, he had 24.6 points per game. He was shooting a nice 36% from three. He also netted himself a couple of assists there with 10.9, which if you're a Nets fan, you have to be excited about that because James Harden is going to be the big front runner for our point guard, especially in the playoffs. Kyrie Irving, he's become more of a two guard. And I'm pretty happy about that because he's shooting out of his mind this season. Kyrie Irving has had arguably the greatest shooting season of his career. And to evidence that, I'm just going to read to you his percentages. From the field, Kyrie Irving shot 56.1%. From three point, he shot 40.2%. And from the free throw line, he shot 92.2%. Now, what you might notice about those numbers is those are the numbers necessary to qualify yourself for the 50 40 90 club which is more than 50 percent from the field more than 40 percent from three and more than 90 percent from the free throw line so Kyrie Irving is the ninth player that's right the ninth player out of all the players in the NBA the ninth player in NBA history to record a 50 40 90 season he's up there in the ranks with some of the greats such as Larry Bird Reggie Miller his teammate Kevin Durant 
and his point guard rival over in the West, Stephen Curry. This is an incredible feat. Not only that, but also in the 50-40-90 club is his coach, Steve Nash, who ended up doing it twice when he was a uh, player on the Phoenix Suns. So I don't know if it's being around Nash and KD that uh, really helped elevate Kyrie's game to that efficiency and that accuracy, but he did hit the 50-40-90 club, and I am so proud of him for it, and I'm so glad he's a Brooklyn Net. I've heard a lot of flack about Kyrie um, over the past season, uh, whether it's talking with friends or just hearing NBA analysis, that uh, Kyrie isn't efficient. Not efficient. People are saying players like Steph Curry, uh, Damian Lillard, point guards in a sense, they're, they're more efficient than Kyrie. And well, sometimes Kyrie can have a bad shooting game. But if you shoot 50, 40, 90, and you're one of only nine players in NBA history to do it, I mean, there's no way that A, you're not efficient, and B, you're not up there you know, as one of the all-time greats, especially just season-wise. And he's also the first Brooklyn Net like player as a Brooklyn Net to record a 50-40-90 season. So he's making history, his first full season with the Nets, and he's already, you know, in the record books. So I'm very happy with uh, Kyrie's 50-40-90 season. I mean, who wouldn't be if you're a Nets fan? Uh, Back to the Nets, we have one more of the big three to talk about, and that is the Slim Reaper himself, Kevin Durant. He finishes the uh, season averaging about 27 points per game, He's shooting 88% from the free throw line. And just, if you look at his stat line, it looks like KD. A lot of people were concerned that KD was not going to be able to perform up to his, you know, shooting standards this season. You know, coming off of that Achilles injury, not having played a game in 500 uh, plus days. But when he came back, he looked just like the old KD. He also added 7.1 rebounds and 5.6 assists onto that 27 points per game. We also had a couple of good role players come in clutch for us this season. Uh, namely, Joe Harris, who's been a perennial starter for the Nets this season. He averaged 14.1 points. And uh, perhaps one of his greater stats is his three-point percentage at 47.5 three-point percentage. That's, that's insane, shooting 47.5 from three. The second best on the team for the Nets is Kevin Durant, who's shooting about 45% from three. But shooting 47.5 from three in a season is insane. So I'm really happy for Joe Harris. Another player I want to highlight is Nicholas Claxton. He's a second year, you know, coming off the bench for the Nets. He hasn't gotten a start yet. He's been backing up DeAndre Jordan most of the time. But recently, DeAndre Jordan hasn't been seeing that many minutes. Uh, Claxton finishes the season with uh, 6.6 points per game, you know, 5.2 rebounds per game. So nothing really super standout-ish, but... The amount of energy and electricity that Claxton brings to the floor when he plays is just, it's, it's great. It's wonderful to watch, and I think Claxton definitely has a bright future as a Brooklyn Net. I can see him elevating himself, not necessarily to MB levels of talent, but kind of like that, um, the way JaVale and Dwight played on the Lakers, that big man who comes in and just energizes the team. You know, we could get his stops get dunks, you know, on the other end and convert points. I think that is a very good role for Claxton. Uh, The Nets also ended up picking up from the EuroLeague 30-year-old guard Mike James (laughs) as an NBA rookie. He, He was a surprise to me. I definitely was not expecting the Nets to pick up a EuroLeague player. 
However, he comes in averaging 7.7 points. He had 4.2 assists and 2.5 rebounds per game, which again, these numbers aren't necessarily sensational when you're comparing him to other guards in the league, but the way that these players such as Claxton and James come in and affect the game and sort of galvanize the offense, it just shows you that role players are just as important, if not more important, than the stars. Speaking of role players, used to be a star, Blake Griffin comes in. You know, he's averaging 10 points per game. We got him uh, off of claims from Detroit. So Blake Griffin, who hadn't dunked in I don't know how long, he comes to the Nets his first game, he's dunking. And ever since, you know, Blake Griffin seems to have revitalized his career. He seems to be playing for something. He wants to play for the Nets. He's doing well. So Blake Griffin too, you know, just these role players, they come in and they do great things for Brooklyn. Landry Shamit was doing good from three. Bruce Brown, even though he's about 6'4", he's a great defensive presence. He can guard pretty much any position. Alizé Johnson, who I really like, he's averaging 5.2 points per game. Nothing super crazy, but at the same time, you know, it's about the effect they have on the floor, the net effect. <laughs> Not a pun on the Brooklyn Nets, but just uh, how the Nets fare while they're on the floor. So the Nets have been struggling with defense as of late, as I said uh, at the beginning of this cast. So if we just look at the Nets' defensive stats, they finished 23rd overall in points allowed. And then in defensive rating, the Nets were 24th overall. So not great numbers for the Nets defensively, but they were top 10 in several categories on the defensive end which include rebounds allowed and assists allowed. And the Nets are actually the number three team in the league in defensive rebounding, which would make sense because teams against the Brooklyn Nets are getting more shots off. Therefore, the Nets have more rebounds to acquire. But at the the same time, you know, with the Nets defense, it comes down to the willingness to play defense. I feel like a lot of the Nets players are capable of playing defense. James Harden, he's a great disruptor on the defensive end. The same thing with Kyrie Irving. You know, Bruce Brown, an amazing defender. Mike James, you know, he's actually pretty good with his lateral movement. We have players like that. Kevin Durant, who isn't necessarily known as a defensive player, but just because of his length, he can actually end up guarding players that are at his or just below his offensive skill level. Like, in, in a seven-game series, I, I wouldn't imagine that Kevin Durant, like, would not be guarding Jason Tatum, for example. Uh, speaking of seven-game series that include Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant, the first-round matchup for the Brooklyn Nets is set. The second-seeded Brooklyn Nets are facing off against the seventh-seeded Boston Celtics. The Celtics earned the seventh seed after they defeated Washington in the play-in game. And now we have the first game of the playoffs for the Brooklyn Nets at 8 o'clock p.m. on Saturday. I really see this as a favorable matchup for the Nets because the Celtics are missing their second best star. I don't know if you would argue that Kemba Walker is their second best star, but I think Jalen Brown this season, uh, especially with his all-star nomination, is more of a star to Boston at this point in time. But... With Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, 
I don't think the Boston Celtics will have enough offensively to match the firepower of the Nets. Um, no one on the Celtics is really scaring me too, too much. Uh, if you look at the um, Celtics and the way that they perform, uh, their performance is kind of tied with how well Jason Tatum does. Because uh, Jason Tatum had to drop 50 points on the Washington Wizards just for the Celtics to get into the playoffs. Uh, if Tatum dropped, you know, any less, if he dropped 40 points, there's a good chance the Washington Wizards could have came back into that game. And the Celtics themselves, they just don't match up well against top teams in the NBA. And that's just true. Uh, in their last five games, the only real win that they got was against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that's a bottom, bottom team. But the Celtics lost against the Heat twice. They lost against the Cavaliers. They lost against the New York Knicks. I mean, the, the Boston Celtics, they're not faring well against top teams in the Eastern Conference. Even the Cavaliers were able to beat down on the Celtics, which I don't know. When I look at the Celtics team, I, I really don't see playoff contenders. And it, it should be a relatively easy first-round matchup for us. Uh, my prediction is 4-0. For the Brooklyn Nets, uh, there's a very slim chance that all three of the Nets stars are going to be off at the same time. So I think it could be 4-0. Uh, maybe it could go five games if the Nets are having trouble um, gelling and figuring each other out. But I don't, I don't see it going past five games. Really, I think there's an 80-85% chance that the Nets just 4-0 sweep the Celtics. If the Celtics had Jalen Brown then it's definitely a different story. You know, the Celtics would maybe be able to give the Nets uh, a couple more games, but I still see the Nets winning. There's just not too much for the Celtics to do against this Nets team. The Celtics just will not be able to match the offense that the Nets have. I mean, if you look at the Celtics, they lost against OKC on April 27th. They lost against Portland. They lost against Chicago. They're just teams that, if you're a top team in the East, you're a playoff team, you're a contender, and you want to be going up against these top teams and winning, you, you can't be losing to teams like Chicago and Cleveland. That just, it's inexcusable for the Boston Celtics. And I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up. I'm not going to say anything about their clutch factor, whether or not the Celtics are going to be able to hit a shot in the clutch when it matters, because I don't think they're going to get to that point. I know the Nets tend to struggle, especially in the fourth, first quarter of games and the first half, but once that third quarter hits and the Nets get into that second half rhythm, they're going to outpace the Celtics easily in each one of the four games. If I had to predict, I could honestly see KD and Kyrie averaging 30 points apiece and Harden averaging like a 25 26 point triple double that's that's just how it is because here's the thing with the Brooklyn Nets the Celtics they have pretty decent defenders in uh Marcus Smart you know Tatum he's not a half bad defender but when you have these three amazing practically unguardable players in Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving and James Harden it's almost like you're picking your poison if you put your two best defenders on KD and Kyrie, 
Harden averaged 36 points, not even two seasons ago. You're going to really let that guy, you know, get to the basket, get his fouls, shoot his free throws. You guard KD and Harden, then okay, Kyrie, he's going to start dribbling, crossing, getting to the basket, hitting his mid-ranges. And Kevin Durant, it doesn't even really matter who you put on him because he could just pull up from three pretty much anywhere over anyone. It's a nightmare matchup for any team in the East. And the Boston Celtics are no different. It's definitely tough (laughs) if you're Boston, but I do not see the Celtics coming out of this one unscathed. Other matchups that we have in the East, um, well, we have the Knicks and Atlanta. I just want to touch on this for a bit. Uh, Because being a Brooklyn resident, I am sort of partial to the New York Knicks. Uh, I wish them good luck against Atlanta. I feel like they'll definitely take this game to at least, uh, take this series to at least six games. But I can see the Knicks coming out on top. As far as Milwaukee and Miami, I have such high hopes for Miami. I think the Heat, even with the loss of Victor Oladipo for perhaps even next season... The Heat were able to take down Milwaukee last season with pretty much the same roster that they have now. So, and a lot of times when the Heat were playing Milwaukee, Jimmy wasn't even playing. So, this season, I mean. Um, In the playoffs, I think Miami owns Milwaukee. And I'm hoping to see Miami second round. Because Milwaukee did hand us those back-to-back losses. I'm not super concerned about Milwaukee. But at the same time, I think Miami's a more favorable matchup for the Nets, and I think it's going to be a more entertaining series. And then, of course, we have Philly versus either Washington or Indiana. I think Philly just wins that outright. It doesn't matter. Philly beats Washington, Indiana beats the uh, versus the winner of New York, Atlanta. Philly probably beats them too. Um, if Philly doesn't make the Eastern Conference Finals this year, at least, I'd be embarrassed to be a Sixers fan. Now, I'm going to tell you why <laughs> Philadelphia might not make the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. So, first round, uh, Russell Westbrook on the Washington Wizards. If he could turn up and be that triple-double machine, and Bradley Beal can score maybe 35, 40 points per game, and Rui Hachimura can maybe come in, do some good stuff for Washington, they could get maybe one to two games on Philly. I think the only way Washington really wins that series is if Embiid gets injured. Um, And at the same time, Philly really only has like one true superstar. When I think about Philly's lineup, I'd say, you know, you have Embiid, you have Harris, you have Seth Curry, who's a lights-out shooter. And then you have Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is... He's not bad. But he's very overrated, especially on the offensive end. I just don't see Ben Simmons as even really a top, I'd say a top five point guard. I'll give him top 10 because of his defensive efficiency. Ben Simmons is a great player defensively. But if you're the Sixers and you're trusting the process and you expect this man to go out and average 20 points a night, which he really should if he could develop a jump shot, um, you're just going to be disappointed. You're, you're not going to get it. Ben Simmons is just not that player. So 
I think once everyone starts to realize that Ben Simmons is one of those players who, you know, maybe he could average a 12 or 13 point triple double, like, okay, he'll fill up the stat sheet. He provides a decent net rating on the defensive end. Um, but he's, he's not going to do what you expect him to do on offense. Ben Simmons is just not a great offensive player. Passing wise, sure. You know, getting to the basket. If you're 6'10 and a guard and you have a 6'3 player guarding you, if LeBron had a 6'3 guard guarding him every time, you're telling me he wouldn't take it to the basket, get an N1 layup, or just dunk it? See, that's what concerns me about Ben Simmons. His lack of aggression, his seemingly lack of drive. Uh, I, I just still don't understand how he hasn't developed some sort of consistency in his jump shot yet. Even if he started this season like 30, 33% from three, at least he's shooting it. I mean, AD is sub 30% from three, but he's still taking them this season. So with, with Ben Simmons, it's just, what is Philly doing? You know, if I'm, I guarantee, you see how Golden State and those guys that Steve Kerr coaches, pretty much all of them can shoot threes now because of the way Steve Kerr and Curry are able to help. If Ben Simmons was on Golden State, he'd probably have a three-point jump shot right now. And is that a fault to the Phillies franchise, or is that a fault to the way that Ben Simmons approaches the game? Does he not see the three-point shot as necessary? We're in an era in the NBA where you almost need to have a three-point shot. Not almost need. You definitely need to have a three-point shot, in a sense, to be somewhat effective. You know, it's not like the old NBA where you have these guys going down in the paint, fouls aren't really getting called as much, you know, and it's more of an inside game. The NBA, especially since Curry had his MVP season in 2015, has shifted to a more perimeter-oriented game. And that's why players like James Harden excel, because his offense on the perimeter is sensational. Kevin Durant and Kyrie both shoot great numbers from three as well, but Harden he could do his little step back three. It's one of the most unguardable moves. Kevin Durant, his pull up three, unguardable. Kyrie Irving, you see that shot he hit over Curry? If he has a player around his height guarding him and he just hits that little step back over the uh, right shoulder, pretty unguardable. And that's just something that Ben Simmons lacks. And with each progressing season, I get less and less confident that he will develop that ability. So it's going to really fall to the way that Ben Simmons develops. If Philadelphia could actually develop a three-point shot for Ben Simmons, and maybe, maybe they've been pranking us this whole time. Maybe Ben Simmons can shoot a three, but they've been saving it for the postseason to make a playoff run. If they did that, I'd be floored. But no, I don't think Ben Simmons will be able to efficiently shoot a three for another two to three seasons, if at all. So, if Embiid goes down and it falls to Harris and Simmons and Seth Curry, um, I can't really see Philadelphia doing too well. Not that they won't beat Washington, but that Knicks team could really show them something. Just a thought. If we look over to the west side of the bracket, we have a couple of pretty interesting matchups. Utah Jazz, uh, they're going to end up playing the winner of the Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies playing game. So whoever that may be, they're going to be facing them. I think that the Warriors might be able to do a little something to the Jazz, but 
nothing crazy. I don't think Memphis can touch Utah. Um, Utah probably advances the second round. The Clippers versus Dallas, I kind of want the Clippers to win because there is this chance that we could see the Clippers-Lakers matchup in the uh, Eastern, sorry, Western Conference Finals. Denver-Portland, Portland hasn't done great against top teams in the West at all. Portland's got a pretty abysmal record versus top teams. However, they're doing pretty decently against the bottom teams. So I think Denver is going to beat Portland, but Damian Lillard might help make it a series. Damian Lillard actually did come in clutch, though, at the end of the season. A Portland Trailblazers fan, he bet his house that the Blazers would get 42 wins on the season. And with the last game of the season, (laughs) with the guy's house on the line, the Blazers are at 41 wins. And, well, it's probably the most high-stakes game that you could ever think of if you're a Blazers fan and you're betting your house. But the Blazers did end up coming through with the win. So that was something a little bit exciting about the end of the season for the Portland Trail Blazers. And then lastly, we have Phoenix and the Lakers. The Lakers might be the scariest seventh seed that the NBA has seen. I know people said it last year with Portland, but the Lakers are genuinely a top two team in the West if they're healthy. And it, it baffled me with all the injuries that NBA players were accruing this season, how the Lakers were able to fall to the seventh seed. But uh, sorry, Phoenix, I think the Lakers are going to overtake you. And then the Lakers are probably going to have a pretty easy time getting to the finals, uh, whether it's Denver or Portland. Denver with the loss of Jamal Murray and Portland just with the way that they got owned by the Lakers last season. They didn't really add too much. The Lakers improved a little bit um, with the inclusion of Andre Drummond. I'm not too happy with Dennis Schroeder on the Lakers. Not that he's bad, but I feel that the net benefit he provides offensively does not compensate for the detriment he provides defensively against star players. And note, I say against star players. Because against normal guards, okay, yeah, Dennis Schroeder can keep up with them. He can limit them. But you have a guy like Steph Curry (laughs) essentially dropping 37 points um, on Dennis Schroeder. It didn't matter what Schroeder did, how close he was to Curry, whether he closed out. Um, Curry was just getting whatever he wanted. And that's going to be the same thing if Schroeder has to play um, Portland and Damian Lillard. And it's going to be the same thing if Dallas ends up making it and Schroeder has to guard uh, Luka, or if Schroeder has to guard Conley or Mitchell. It, does, it doesn't matter. Just um, on the, um, the backcourt side of things, Schroeder's just a defensive liability. And he went 3 for 14 in the play-in game, minus 20 plus minus, not great. Not great if you're going to be a part of a championship team. Uh, I'll give it to him that everyone has bad games, but it just concerns me uh, for the Lakers that Schroeder cannot defend top guards, which, you know, it's, it's a little bit concerning. As far as the Nets, I don't have that concern with guarding top guards. 
Well, first and foremost, with Kemba Walker versus Kyrie Irving, that's kind of going to be like a uh, cancel out. I think both of them are going to end up scoring a pretty decent amount. I think Kyrie's going to have a little bit of the scoring edge because Kyrie is the better point guard after all. Um, but then you have James Harden. No one's going to match James Harden score-wise. Tatum and Durant, you know, they're going to probably match and go point for point. But Harden's going to be the X factor in this Boston series. So seeing the way that the Celtics have been playing, especially against top teams, um, it's, it's, not, it's not looking good for them. So in the Western Conference Finals, what I would like to see is the Clippers and Lakers. And no matter which team wins, I feel like if the Lakers can't really get it together, it's probably the Clippers. Um, hopefully, they'll see the Nets in the finals. Uh, the, the biggest obstacle for the Nets, aside from Milwaukee, is obviously Philadelphia. So I, I think the, uh, the Nets are definitely going to have some work to do in this playoff run. Against Philadelphia, my main concern is that Joel Embiid is probably getting whatever he wants. Uh, as far as points-wise, he could definitely score 50 on the Nets, but it, it's just going to come down to can the Nets keep up with it. Uh, I know Philadelphia has some good defenders, uh, and Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel. So uh, will the Nets' offense be able to surpass that defense? And... I'm going to reiterate something that I've heard a lot of analysts of the NBA saying in that no team has won a title in the past 20 years, aside from, I think, the 0-2 Lakers, without a top 10 defense. And the Nets defense is, uh, <laughs> we're in the 20s. So it, it's going to be tough for the Nets to go up against teams that are really great defensively because it's going to really be uh, a fire and ice thing offense versus defense is the greater offense going to surpass the greater defense so those are just some things to think about as we go into this playoff run uh, I will be doing post-game analysis uh, on this channel for every single playoff game that the Nets do have some of them might be longer some of them might be shorter uh, I do want to say thank you for listening uh, I know it's been a while, and I appreciate that you have come back after all this time, but I will definitely be more consistent with these uploads, and I will be rooting for the Nets as we chase our first NBA championship. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Christian Hale, and this has been the Nothing But Nets podcast. Have a good one. Let's go Nets!